0: Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 19. The book of Acts, chapter 19, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 to verse 10. When you got it, say so. saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily, and the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Let us pray. God, we honor you for your word today. We thank you for your presence that is in this place right now. God, and Holy Spirit, we just surrender to you, asking you to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. Lord God, I pray that we would not be passive hearers of your word, that we, but that we would be active doers of your word. I pray that we would be changed, that we would be challenged, that we would be transformed, God, by the preaching of your word, God. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, Lord God, and that the name of Jesus would be glorified, that the kingdom of God would come. And that you, Lord God, would be manifested fully in the lives of my brothers and my sisters here today. I thank you for all of this and I ask you these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. I was encouraged last week. How many of you were here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. All right, praise the Lord, and I was encouraged as I sat down and Pastor Robert began to share the scriptures because as he shared the word of the Lord, obviously you guys know I know where I'm going pretty much every week because I'm going through the book of Acts, so I know what's next, I knew chapter 19 was coming, and as Pastor Robert began to speak, he began to speak on the power of the Holy Spirit, and I thought it was amazing because I realized that God must really, really want to do something. He must really want to do something in the lives of his people because he's going to repeat to you two weeks in a row, you need the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. We're going to go home now. No, I'm just kidding. Now, now here's the thing. When, when, I, when I began to listen to him share and I, and I began reading the scriptures, I was like, God, this is awesome because we see the Apostle Paul having this encounter with these people in, in the place of Ephesus. And he, when he encounters these people, these people are called disciples. Say, Disciples. And as he calls them disciples, that word disciple, it means follower or someone who is a student of someone. And what we realize is that there is a person, when you go to chapter 18, you'll notice that Apollos is there. And the Bible says, if you remember, it says that Apollos was preaching and he was passionate, but he only had a partial knowledge of the fullness of the gospel. He only had the knowledge of the gospel that was up to the time of John the Baptist, which is where we find ourselves here with these particular believers. And and what happens, is what what most people believe is that these guys were disciples of apollos and apollos left them behind when he left ephesus and so they never got the full teaching of the scriptures and so when paul comes to ephesus he's on his third missionary trip and as he's on this trip we begin to be encountered with something that is so important and it is the need of the power of the holy spirit Now, the reason why I say that's so important for us is because we see in the beginning of the book of Acts, we find something. When Jesus dies, resurrects, and he is getting ready to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples something. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power. Y'all remember that in chapter 1, right? And then the Bible shows us that in chapter 2, they were in there, and they were there for 10 days straight, having prayer meetings, you know, three times a day, as was the custom of the Jewish people. And at the end of those 10 days, the day of Pentecost, the scripture Scripture says is it's fifty days after Jesus dies, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that the Spirit of God comes down and fills these people with the power of the Spirit. Now, when you read this scripture here in chapter 19, we're about 20 years after that. So when you look at the timeline, this is around 20 years later. And it's funny because you would think that everybody who believes is filled with the Holy Ghost. And the truth of the matter is, it wasn't so. These people believed in the Jesus that was coming. These people believed in that because that's what John the Baptist was pointing to. But they needed something. And I believe the reason why God smacks chapter 19 right here in the book of Acts is so that way anybody who's reading through the book of Acts doesn't forget that this is about the acts of the Holy Spirit manifesting through the church and that we shouldn't be sleeping, sitting by idle, like God is not doing anything. God wants us to be awakened and he wants to do something great. Great and powerful through us by the power of his spirit and so the question comes up to these disciples and paul says have you received the holy spirit now you know when i sat down i thought about this i said okay you know we can go one of two routes here i can go ahead and i can assume a bunch of stuff and i can say well there's you know this reason or that reason or i can just look here at what the bible says and it says paul meets these disciples he finds them and the first thing out of his mouth is did you receive the holy ghost doesn't give us any reason it doesn't say they were living in sin it doesn't say they were acting foolish it just says paul comes out and he asks them he says have you received the holy spirit and and when i look at the scripture there has to be a reason why paul says that there has to be something that he sees i don't know what he saw but all that i know is that he knew that these people needed the spirit of god or maybe the holy spirit just showed him they need the holy spirit They need the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say something. He says that they had received the, they they say, no, we didn't even know that the Holy Spirit had been given. They said, well, you know, well, what were you baptized into Is Paul's next question. And they tell him, they said, well, we were baptized in the baptism of John. And so Paul is like, okay, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. In other words, it was a baptism that was going to bring you, you know, bring you this salvation. But that repentance was not just turning away from sin, but it was turning to a Savior who is Jesus. It was turning to him. And so what what happens is when you look at the baptism of John, the baptism of John is looking forward. When you look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is looking backwards. You see, because John's baptism, the cross hadn't happened yet. John's baptism, Jesus, until, you know, Jesus comes up on the scene, Jesus wasn't on the scene yet. And Jesus says that until he's glorified, the Holy Spirit is not given. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, you guys need to be completed. Say completed. And what happens to us today, the reason why this is so important for us is because what happens to us today is that we hear a lot. I am going to preach for the rest of my days the message of repentance. Amen. Amen. It is important because it is a message that calls us out of sin into relationship with Jesus to live out a life of righteousness. Okay. So repentance is important, but repentance without the Holy Spirit is going to be empty and void. Because you will continue to fall into the same sin until your heart is transformed. And you know who transforms hearts? The Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, we will have issues. And here's the thing. For too long, the church has struggled to marry the Spirit-filled life with doctrinal fidelity. In other words, there's something that has happened within the church where we feel like we can't be Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, speaking in tongues. Hallelujah, I said that. We can't be that and be doctrinally sound. It's like those two things cannot co- coexist together, and that is so far from the truth. The book of Acts communicates to us that these people here, after they're baptized in the name of Jesus, Paul lays hands on them. They're filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues and prophesying, and they're being taught for the next two years not to stop speaking in tongues, not to stop being you know, filled with passion and zeal for Jesus, but they're being taught how to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And to live a life that is spirit-filled. And so we as a church, and and for y'all that know me well enough and have known me long enough, my greatest, greatest passion, because the the, the reason why we've had such an issue in in, in marrying these two things, spirit-filled living and doctrinal fidelity, is because there are so many abuses that take place. Hello, somebody. In the spirit-filled community because of the imbalance and the lack of being in Scripture. But let me take you to the other side. Because there are equal abuses over here in the doctrinally faithful community that rebuke anyone speaking in tongues. Hello, somebody. I said it again. Glory to God. The reality is that we have to come to the place that we trust what the Bible says. And the Bible talks about the Spirit of God and him being active and moving and part of the church today. And the Spirit of God does not contradict the Word of God. And so the only thing that needs to happen is this group over here that has abused the gifts of the Spirit needs to repent looking at the Scriptures. And this group over here that has rejected the gifts of the Spirit needs to repent looking at the Scriptures. And so, my, my, one, at least this morning, my greatest passion, glory to God. Next week it'll be different. But this week, amen. This week, my greatest passion is to help you understand something that really burns in my heart. It is that God wants to raise up a church that is filled with the power of God and that is founded in the Word of God. A church that understands its desperate need for the Holy Spirit to be active every day, every moment of their life, moving in them. That they are communing with the Spirit of God. That they are intimate with the Spirit of God. That they are letting the Holy Spirit transform them as they meditate in the Word of God. And as the gospel becomes more lively in them, that is only going to occur as they spend time in the presence of God in His Word. Paul asks these people, have you received the Holy Spirit? And so I would ask you the same question. I ask you two questions. I asked you one at the end, but I'm gonna ask you this. First of all, have you received the Holy Spirit? Notice what I didn't say, and notice what Paul did not say. Let me bring balance to all of this. Paul did not say, Have you spoken in tongues? That was not his question. His question was not, have you spoken in tongues? That isn't what he said. He said, Have you received the Spirit of God? And so when I ask you this question, two groups of people in the room, the ones that know Jesus, for you, have you received the Spirit of God? How do I know if I receive the Spirit of God? Does my life bear the fruit of the Spirit? If I have not received the Spirit of God, my life will not bear the fruit of the Spirit. The other group of people in the room that don't know Jesus, I can answer the question for you. You haven't received the Spirit of God, but God wants you to receive His Spirit. God wants to fill you with His Spirit and transform your life. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. The second question that i ask you is since for those of you that were here last week and you heard the message and you were called to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost, how has it been going the last seven days? Have you been walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you found yourself really being transformed or did you hear just another good message last week? Did you hear just another good message that was really good, that was put together well, you know, had good points and, you know, all that stuff? But, but were you transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? And if the answer is no, God is here today saying, son, daughter, I want to transform you. I want you to live not just the next seven days, but the next however many years you live, I want you to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you, because there were some of you that sat there and you were like, yeah, that's a great message, but you didn't respond. And God has given you yet another opportunity, amen. For you to respond to him and say, I want to be full of your spirit, God. And not just fill. And understand this, please. It is not about being filled once. It is about being filled continually. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he doesn't say, go on ahead and be filled one time. He says, but to be filled. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a continual process. You continually are being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what should be happening to our lives and so the question is, how is it going? Are you living that spirit-filled life? And that'll be the same question that I ask you at the end of the message. God has called the church to be his light bearers. Say amen. amen. His salt shakers, his ambassadors of the kingdom of God and the gospel that has changed their lives. And what we realize is that as Paul walks on this last part of his missionary journey, we see a great emphasis being made upon the need for the full counsel of the gospel, which leads us into the fullness of the power of the gospel. The church needs, say needs, to be filled afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit daily to be effective in the mission that God has called us into. The Holy Spirit is the helper who empowers believers to live holy, to to bear fruit, and to impact lives with the gospel that is impacting them. It is the Spirit of God that does these things in us. So repeat this after me, please. The The power of the gospel is dependent... Upon the Spirit of God. As I said earlier, when Paul encounters these believers here, he, or these disciples here, we assume that they were probably disciples of Apollos. And so they were, they, they, they were needing the fullness of the instruction. And Paul makes it crystal clear. Crystal clear. He doesn't, he, he doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't quite, he doesn't say, well, you know, maybe you're filled. He doesn't say that. He asks them, are you Have you received the Holy Spirit? And he he lets them know that they need that ministry today. And so for us, the question for many of us is, do we receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit today? Do we receive the work of the Holy Spirit today? Christianity, without the power of the Holy Spirit, is simply another religion that makes promises it is unable to fulfill. Let me say that again. Christianity without the power of the Holy Spirit is simply another religion that makes promises it is unable to fulfill. When you look at the Bible, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was was without without form and void. And it says, And the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. In the act of creation, the Spirit of God was there. The Spirit of God was necessary to bring about everything that God was going to speak and bring into existence. Without the Holy Spirit, the gospel doesn't penetrate lives. Without the Holy Spirit, the gospel doesn't change lives. Without the Spirit of God, we cannot see the power of God manifesting the way that God wants it to manifest. In the full presentation of the gospel, it requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Hold your place in the book of Acts here and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. I want you to see why the Spirit of God is so important within the proclamation of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 1 1 and verse 5. You got to say Amen. And it says in verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. Say power that word power there is the word dunamis it's the same word in the book of acts chapter one when god when jesus tells the disciples to wait until you have received power until you have received dunamis meaning like dynamite that's where we get that word that's where the original is at and so it's talking about an explosive power and ability and effectiveness and so he says it didn't just come to you in words alone in other words it wasn't just someone proclaiming something to you but there was something that was going on in inside you there was something that was taking place and what that something is is the holy spirit that was moving he goes on to say here he said in also but also in power and in the holy spirit and in much assurance that word assurance in some translations if you have the esv i believe that word is is conviction and maybe it it may be the um, new american standard version but the point is that that's where we get the whole idea of being convicted And when the gospel is preached, the power of the Holy Spirit moves, and it does what? It brings conviction to lives, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And so you can go back to the book of Acts. But when you see there, when, when the apostle Paul is speaking and sharing with the Thessalonian church, he says, I didn't just come to you telling you a bunch of words, but the Spirit of God was there in power. The Spirit of God convicted you of your sin, assured you or convinced you, is what that word means, of your sin and your need for Jesus. And so when we talk about the gospel and we share with someone about their need, listen, we can have all of our dots, you know, all of our I's dotted, all our T's crossed. We can have everything underlined, highlighted, all over. It can be all perfect. And if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be no change. There will be no impact. There will be no transformation that takes place. When we present the gospel fully, it is the Spirit of God that brings that change into our hearts. Amen. It is the Spirit of God that brings conviction. It is the Spirit of God that brings regeneration. It, see, what, what happens is when we talk about the gospel, y'all know the gospel starts with God. He is holy. He is righteous. We are sinners separated from him because of our sin, and we are eternally damned to be separated from him because of our sin, because we are in, in direct violation of his commandments, of his holiness, of his character. The beauty of it is Jesus dies on the cross, and when he dies on the cross, He puts, He puts puts all of our sin on that cross dies in our place and then he dies he ascends and when he or resurrects when he ascends he sends the holy spirit because you know what we talk a lot about a new identity that we have in jesus and we do have a new identity in jesus because of the work of the cross but you know who makes that clear to you the holy ghost it is the Spirit of God who Jesus, when he goes up to heaven, he t- talks to the Father. The Father sends the Spirit to do what? To fill our lives, to keep us, to keep us walking with Jesus, to keep us convinced of the truth. If the Holy Spirit's not there, you know what we do? We begin to waver in our faith. You can always tell when someone is not walking with Jesus, when they're not walking with the Holy Spirit, when they're not having that communion, because what happens to them is, you know, sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Hello. They're always wavering. And it's not that we don't have our ups and downs, even as spirit-filled as we are, because we're going to have those moments. But I can guarantee you one thing. If you are walking in constant communion with the Spirit of God that has been given to you, the Bible says you have been sealed with the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. For what? Because He's the one that keeps us. And if you're walking with Him in communion with Him, then guess what? He's the one that keeps you. And you're going to have those ups and you're going to have those downs, but I guarantee you'll be a lot more consistent than other people that are not. Second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this: "Say, spirit empowered gospel living cannot be imitated." Let me say that again: Spirit empowered gospel living cannot be imitated. Look with me at verse eleven here. It says this: "It says, now God worked unusual miracles." Pause for a moment. Going back in chapter, in, in, in the beginning part of the chapter, Paul is staying in Ephesus. For two years here, preaching and teaching is what it's talking about. In total, he stays there for about three years. But what happens is he's there for these two years, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's ministering. hes I mean, he's, he's telling people about the kingdom of God. And when he's talking about the kingdom, he is talking about the power of God that is present within believers to bring change to the atmosphere where God places them. Amen. That's what we're talking about. We talk about the kingdom. Listen, it is so so very important that when we talk about the kingdom, you understand that when you pray, Lord God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. When you talk about kingdom, you are talking about authority. You are talking about power. You are talking about a realm that has dominion in it, and that realm is his kingdom. And what we are doing is, unless we are hypocritically praying this or just religiously praying this, what we are praying is, God, let your kingdom, let your authority, let your power let your majesty be manifested in the earth and the way that we can measure this is by looking back at the ministry of Jesus himself when he walks on the earth we start there the Bible says that he begins to preach what does he preach he preaches repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand as we follow Jesus ministry what do we find we find demons being cast out we find people being healed we find people being forgiven of sin we find people being delivered we find that well let's fast forward you go into the book of Acts and you see the Holy Spirit spirit moving and what do we see there as well we see the same thing happening we see people being filled with the holy spirit we see demons being cast out we see people being healed we see people's lives being changed we see people who are believing but not totally complete yet being completed because of what because of the kingdom of god So when we talk about the kingdom, we're not saying, hey, man, I just want to talk to you about this kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of Almighty God. And when we pray that prayer, we are saying, God, let your power take control of these circumstances. Let your authority take dominion over all authority. Let your glory manifest over every other glory. Let your name be lifted up above every name. The problem is we have become so desensitized to our need for the power of the Holy Spirit. And not just that, but we don't even really believe that God can do those things today. Are you hearing me? Let's just be real. Some of us don't have enough faith for God to just, I don't, I don't even know, just to do anything small. We don't, we don't have enough faith for God to provide for our bills. Are you hearing me? Some people, I, I mean, and I, I haven't done this in a long time, so I'll say it because there ain't nobody in this building. I've been counseling people, talking to them about finances, and they're like, man, I can't afford to tithe. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get my bills paid. I'm like, what? Really? You can't. Listen, you know I'm not no legalist when it comes to tithing, okay? Y'all know better than that. I'm not, I'm not, not going to tell you a curse. With a, I'm not going to say any of those things. What I'm going to tell you is you should be a giver that is given to God because you are grateful. Amen. And you trust him to be the provider that he is. Amen. Glory to God. And so the thing is, but, but the reason why we won't do that, I mean, I, I don't know if God could, you know, take care of my light bill. How are you going to, if God you can't believe God for your light bill, how are you going to believe him to heal somebody who's sick? How are you going to believe, how, how are you going to believe him to say, you see, you know, you know what? Our prayers would change for our lost family members if we really believe that he could do it. Or y'all are not hearing me. Our prayers would change for our lost family members if we really believe he could do it. It's kind of like when you come to a house, right, and you're starving. Amen, somebody. And you smell that wonderful odor of food, you know, that that good aroma, not odor, odor's bad, aroma, aroma, glory to God. If it's an odor, you probably be like, I'm going to go somewhere else. But anyway, you smell that wonderful aroma, right, of, of food. And because you're hungry, something moves you to the kitchen, right? I, I, I'm just talking about me, especially if it's in my house, and I'm going to go look at what's being cooked. And if I'm really hungry and maybe everything's not done, I'm going to grab me a piece of something. I'm going to grab and just, you know, do my thing, amen? And someone's going to tell me, wait, wait till all this stuff is done. But anyway, now, I did all of that because of what? Because I smelled the aroma. I knew there was food there. I could do that. If I walk into a house, I can be hungry. If there's no aroma, then I'm probably not going to, you know, go and try to grab anything to eat because there's nothing there to eat according to my senses. Amen? The point is, it's the same thing for me in prayer. When I really believe that God will do it, I go after him in a different way. When I really believe that God can heal, I go after him in a different way. When I really believe that God can save, I go after him a different way. When I really believe that God can fill me with his spirit, I go after him a different way. When I believe that God can do these things, the issue is, I mean, if we're really real about this, we don't really believe. We don't really believe because we're not because, listen, we have been, and we don't even realize it. You see, you got all these fools, and I'm going to call them fools. You got all these fools making jokes about the Bible, making jokes about Jesus. I heard, I don't know who it was that I was talking to. I think it was Minister Juan. He was telling me, you said it was Jack Black, right, that did some Saturday Night Live thing, and he was imitating Jesus and about this whole issue of homosexuality, and he's over there talking about, oh, I never said that was bad. I never said anything about that." That is the devil. And you, and you see we sit there and we laugh. Oh, Jack Black! And so he ain't funny. He's a fool. Right. And, and I love Nacho Libre. But here's the thing. And anyway, I'm I'm letting. You. In that movie, he was a fool too. But not the, the not the type of fool he was on Saturday Night Live. That's a different scenario, but you got people making jokes, not just making jokes. Then you got other people who talk bad about Christianity, and so you doubt your Christianity in and of itself. And then when you start talking about your Bible, how many people belittle and talk down about the Scriptures? How are you going to walk in faith? The only way you're going to do that is by being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that's going to happen. And so Paul is teaching in, this, in, in Ephesus for these two years. He is refuting. He is reasoning. He is communicating the gospel of the kingdom. He's making sure that everybody in Asia, and it's not the Asia that we think about. It's the Asia of that time, which was a little bit further west. And so it's really modern-day Turkey is the area that he's talking about, just to make some clarification there. And so in verse 11, it says, and we'll start reading it together. It says, now God worked unusual. Say unusual. unusual. Miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Hallelujah. Also... There were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in, in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them. And the name of the Lord was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and buried them in the sight of all, and they, con- and they counted up the value of them, and it was 50,000 pieces of silver. Even in our days, that's a lot. Hello. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And so, and so what I said was, for, the, for this point, the spirit-empowered gospel living cannot be imitated. And the first thing I want you to realize is that just as God worked through Paul in extraordinary, my, my version here says unusual, that word means not usual or something that is not normally experienced, the same way that God worked through Paul in extraordinary ways, he desires to work through us. Not in the same way, but in a similar manner. Understand what I'm saying when I say the same way. I don't mean you need to go and buy a bunch of handkerchiefs. Hello. Hello. And start rubbing your head and say, go take these to demon-possessed people. That is not what I'm saying, okay? I'm I'm not telling you that. that. That was unusual. That is very unusual. We don't find any other apostle. We don't find any other person in the scriptures, okay, that is doing that. And so here is what I'm trying to communicate. What I'm saying is I'm not telling you to go and do those things. What I am telling you is be filled with the Spirit of God and believe God to do extraordinary things in the days in which you live. Believe God to be that person who really is, for the young people that are in this place, Believe God that he can fill you and use you as a real light within your schools, that he can use you to really communicate the gospel, that while everyone else is following the wrong direction, he can use you in this day, in this hour to bring real change to people's life. When you see someone who is sick, don't be afraid to pray for them. When you see someone who is hurting, don't be afraid to talk to them and communicate with them. When you see someone who is sinning, don't be afraid to confront them. Them. Let the spirit of God use you. Not just the young people. How about the adults in the house? How about the adults? You know, we walk around life, we're so used to aspirin and Advil and Motrin and all this other stuff. We we won't even pray for pain. We we we, we automatically, oh I got something in my purse. Do you got something in your spirit? I'm just saying. I am just, listen, I walk around and I will have a, I don't even know if it's a migraine or not. I just know that it's an excruciating pain and I, it will take me forever to take something. I'm like, God, you got to heal me. You are the healer. I, I hate to take drugs, any kind of drugs, because I did it before. I don't want to do it ever again. Hello. When it's unnecessary. The point of the matter is, what, I mean, really, what do, you, what do you point people to when they're going through something? I mean, do you even think, man, maybe, maybe I should pray for this person. Do, does that ever come to your mind? Or you just think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring it to the prayer meeting on Sunday so the real anointed people can pray for them. And then if they get healed, I will tell them, my prayer meeting prayed for you. That's why you're healed. That's what some of y'all might think. Listen, God wants to use us. He wants to use you. He doesn't want to just use the preachers and the pastors and the ministers. No, he wants to use every single one of us. There is no one that God. Why? Because of one thing. He wants to bring change to lives. That is why, because you know what? The people that you encounter, most of them, unless you minister to them, we'll never see them. Unless you are used to minister the power of the Spirit of God into their lives, we will never see them because they're not going to get saved. They're not going to walk through the doors. And listen, I firmly and fully believe in the sovereignty of God, but I also firmly and fully believe in our responsibility and partnering with him on the mission he's called us into. And what I know is that the Bible says, Paul says, how will they hear if no one preaches? And so while God is sovereign, he is waiting on preachers. And I'll take it to another place. He is waiting on people to believe him when they read the scriptures. He is waiting on people to say, wait a second, this is the God of the Bible. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he wants, he still has the same will to save. Hello. He still has the same will to fill with the power of his spirit. He still has the same will to do those same things that he did in the Scripture. None of this has changed. See, the beauty of this, I told you this before. When you look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts shows us the church. It shows us the church age. Nothing. Don't let anyone lie to you. Nothing has changed. The church is still waiting on Jesus to return. That means that God is still saving. God is still reviving. God is still healing. Listen, you may not see the United States because we are lazy Christians. And you know why we're lazy? Because we don't believe. Listen, let me, let me tell you, it's not about turning your alarm clock on. It's about letting your spirit be filled with the power and revelation of who God is. Because when that is going on inside of you, you don't even need an alarm clock. Hello. The Spirit of God is moving in your life. The Spirit of God is doing something. And so what happens is we're not willing to pay any kind of price because, really, I'm real comfortable. The AC's blowing. Some of y'all are a little warm. Some of y'all are cold. I don't know. I know I'm sweating. But anyway, it's all good. I'm preaching. The point of the matter is these chairs are comfortable. Everything is all good. The carpet's nice. Hallelujah. You know, we got some children's church stuff. Everything looks good. Wait a second. There are dying people that need the gospel. And see, I'm talking to us in here, but the church in general, that's how we are in the United States of America. We are just comfortable. Everything is good. But everything is not good. Everything is not good. We need a move of the Spirit of God. That's why the Spirit of God is speaking to us and trying to call us to repentance and humility and submission under God's will. What I told you in the beginning when we went through the book of Acts is don't look at Acts as just some history lesson. Don't look at Acts just something, oh, well, this is what happened, you know, a bunch of years ago, and this is really great for them and awesome, and, you know, we're in chapter 19, so we got like, you know, 10 more chapters left to go, and then we'll be done. If if you're thinking like that, you have the wrong heart. Because when you sit before these scriptures, what I encourage you to do is, you know what? You know we're going to preach in chapter 20 next. You need to be meditating on chapter 20 all week long saying, Holy Ghost, speak to Bishop. Just speak to him for my life. Speak to him for the lives of those that will walk in these doors. Begin to cry out to God like that. Begin to meditate and let him deal with you. Because this is not just some history lesson. This is an awakening lesson. The Bible says that Paul goes and he's doing these these not normal, these unusual miracles and these things are happening and all of a sudden these guys, they begin to watch him. It says these itinerant Jewish exorcists. And so these are people that they're not believers in Jesus but what they are is they're observers and they're seeing their itinerant, meaning they're traveling. And so as they're coming through the city, they're like, yo, check this guy out. He's over there preaching this Jesus and I see demons coming out of people. People are being healed. As a matter of fact, He's not even leaving. He's over there. He's got a sweat rag, and he goes like this, and he puts it down on the floor. Someone grabs it. They run over there, lay hands on a person. This person is being healed. And so he's like, hold on a second. If they can do it, I know this is what they thought. I'm I'm putting this in there, but they had to think this. They were like, doggone it. If a handkerchief could do it, I could do it. If an apron can do it, I can do it. I'm saying, Paul wasn't there, but the thing was, the anointing on Paul's life was there. That's all. So these guys are like, well, you know what? In the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. That's scary. Because they didn't know Jesus. They thought that it was like, they they thought Jesus was like abracadabra. Or open sesame or something like that, right? That's what they, they thought that that was just some magical, you know, conjure up some incantation that you would say. And and, and they saw the power, so they were like, we're going to go and do this. The Bible says that this demon turns to them, this demon-possessed person, the demon inside of them, turns to them and says, hold on a second. Jesus, we know. Now, I I, I don't know about you, but this conversation had to be amazing to watch. Okay? Dudes walk up in here. Homie's like manifesting, demon-possessed. In the name of the Jesus Paul preaches, come out of him. Demon is like, stop manifesting, start talking. Hold on a second. Jesus I know. If you read the right version, you'll see two different words there. The first word is know, you know, ginosko, means I know intimately. Demons know Jesus because of the spirit realm. They were like, we know him. We saw what he did on the cross. We thought we had him. It was a wrap. When he resurrected, it was over. We know him. And then it says they know Paul. Like, and I know Jesus, and I know Paul. That word is different. That's not ginosko. That is to acknowledge him. In other words, we know Jesus by experience, and whenever this guy Paul comes, we got to recognize him because Jesus is standing with him. Are you hearing me? He's covered in something. I don't know, but every time he comes, we got to go. So we know him. Who are you? Because we don't see no Jesus with you. We don't see nothing on you. As a matter of fact, I submit to you what the demon did was made them look in the natural like they looked in the spirit, naked and wounded. The wound was they needed salvation. They were naked because they weren't covered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so all he did was he was like, hold on a second, we know Jesus, we know Paul, you we don't know. So we're going to let you know what we see. One demon jumped on seven dudes. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever seen like a fight. I'm just saying, but seven guys against one that is, that, that, that's like Jackie Chan stuff, you know what I mean? Just, you know, or Jet Li, I'm sorry, you know, like Jet Li, Bruce, like some Lee, glory to God. That's someone like that. That's not just the norm, and most of the time that's on movies, but the point is, seven dudes were in there trying to cast out this demon with some kind of spell. Listen, you cannot imitate spirit-filled living. You are either sp- filled with the spirit or you are not. But here's the thing. As we walk in the Spirit, the Bible says we're to walk in the Spirit, and what happens? We put to death our flesh. As we pray in the Spirit, the Bible tells all of the church, say all of the church, the ones in the Spirit-filled, the ones who deny it, He tells all the church in the same Bible to pray in the Spirit. What do we do there? We put to death the confusion in our hearts. As we pray in the Spirit, we connect with God Almighty. It's not about speaking in tongues. It's about praying under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is to pray in the Spirit. And so what we do is we put to death that confusion. And in the book of 1 John tells us that we are to abide in the anointing of God, which is the Spirit of God, who leads us into all truth, which is the Word of God. And as we get into the Scriptures, what we do is we put to death all of our doubts. And then we begin to experience the power of the Spirit of God. And what's the point of experiencing the power of the Spirit of God so we can feel good about ourselves? No. It's the way we can confront the darkness of our days in the power of the Holy Spirit and bring change to lives. Because when the power of God is manifesting through us, the kingdom of God is manifesting with us. And as the kingdom of God manifests with us, it changes the lives of those who are bound by the kingdom of darkness. Listen, Pastor Robert said he, he, to, he told you a little bit last week about the, the one time. I only had one experience like this with, the, with, with the, a young man who was demon-possessed. And I'll tell you the story really quickly. What happened was this young man, he was very much involved in witchcraft and in the occult. And it was when we first started youth ministry. And the, the, the youth pastor at that time, he was, he was, he was um, a couple of months doing it. And he was giving an analogy. And in the analogy, he, he had um, somebody was bound in chains. And this person was bound in chains over here, and he had that person standing there, and then he came over here, and he said, this is Jesus. That's you. You're bound in sin. You're bound in lust. You're bound in idolatry. You're bound in bitterness. You're bound in unforgiveness, and that might be someone in this place. You're bound in all of these different things. Jesus is over here calling you to himself. And as you respond to Jesus, and as the person began to walk towards Jesus, the chains began to fall off the person. And what they were saying was, as you begin to come to Jesus, liber- liberty begins to take place. Liberation begins to take place. As that was happening, there was, that young man was sitting in the back. And as that was taking place, I mean, you felt the Holy Spirit fill that room. And the young man gets up and walks out of the, out of the church in our old building. He goes outside. The youth pastor's wife walks out behind him. I was sitting in the sanctuary the whole time. Youth pastor's wife walks out out of of the building, and when she, she goes outside, obviously I didn't see any of this. Nobody saw this except her. She said this young man was being thrown up violently against the wall. And she, didn't, you know, she she knew what it was. He, had, you know, he he was deep into witchcraft. And he, what he, what had happened was he had just recently committed his life to Christ. And what 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 he did, he had some rings on, and he took all of those rings off, and those were all dedicated to Satanism. And so this young man, bound by this, this um, the pastor's wife was able to get him to walk inside. He walks inside, and then she tells me and the person who was going to be the next youth pastor, um tells him listen um he was out there told him what was happening so we took him into a room that was probably about the size of my office and we took him to the room we were sitting in the middle of the room and as we started talking to him about what was going on something happened that we said the name of jesus and homeboy shot from the chair to the door like like something it was something picked him up and threw him praise god the door was closed so he couldn't run anywhere And so we prayed against that demonic stronghold for about, I would say, I don't know, probably like 30 minutes that we were there. And we prayed every time because, you know, one thing about demonic stuff is that the person, the person who is going through this has to be actively involved. You can't just be like, you know, passively, you know, whatever. No, they need to be rebuking because demons don't just enter your life because they just felt like it. You have to open the door for the enemy to enter into your life. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm just you know, sitting here and all of a sudden a demon jumped in. That ain't, that's not how that happens. Like I'm walking down the block and all of a sudden I got demon possessed. No, you are going to have to have some real situation. And so what happens is every time that we get him to a point of consciousness, because he's like drooling. I mean, it was a crazy scenario. Um, and, as, as, and he kept on like blacking out. And so every time we get into a point of consciousness, we're trying to get him to say, in the name of Jesus. And every time he would go in there, he would go into convulsing. And finally, at one moment, we prayed, rebuked, and then all of a sudden, this peace just came over him. And we said, now, come on, man, pray in the name of Jesus. And he said the name of Jesus like it was nothing because God had liberated him. Now, why do I share this story? Because what happened was the kingdom of darkness had a stronghold on that boy's life. And what I want you to know is that he's not the only person that you have ever heard of that's involved in witchcraft or the occult. He is not the only person that you know of that has played with Ouija boards and and played, and and I'll I'll go this far, and even played certain demonic video games. Hello, somebody. Because don't get it twisted because some of y'all act like, oh, that doesn't have any spiritual ramification. The devil is a liar. You need to understand that there are spiritual ramifications to the things you participate in, and so you need to be very discerning. I don't know any games, so I can't give you names, but here's the point. The point is that there are things that are demonic. You can't play with stuff like that. And so you know people like this. And what you need to know is that those people, you see them acting up, whether it's in violence, whether it's in anger, whether I mean certain things that they are doing, it is because they are bound by demonic forces. And the Spirit of God wants you to be the vessel of liberation for them. But if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're not committed to Jesus, don't be going talking about the Jesus that Bishop was talking about. Uh uh-uh. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to fear. That is not my point here. What I want you to see is what happens is when these guys get thrown out of this, um, when, when they get thrown out of this, out of this place and they're naked and they're bruised what, what does the Bible say the Bible says that when everybody started to hear about this fear came on everyone why it was because they recognized the reality of the spirit realm are you hearing me They recognize the reality of these demonic forces. The Bible says that some people who were messing around with magic, that's witchcraft. Some people, they brought their books, they brought, they repented of their sin. And that is the reason why we need to be filled with the power of God and bold about the kingdom of God. Because that is the only way that liberty happens. And the whole purpose of this is to bring liberty. And what you and I need to see is that when people are really filled with the Spirit of God, God can bring liberty and transformation. Amen? Amen. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. The gospel preached and powered by the Spirit will cost us. Look at verse 21. It says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, To go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also go to Rome. And so what we begin to see here is we begin to see how Paul's heart is changing and God is directing him because he has a specific purpose to go to Rome. He ends up being in prison and we'll get there by the end of the book of Acts. But I just want to point that out to you because you begin to see it now toward the latter part of this third missionary trip. It says, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Now, notice, in the earlier part of this, great repentance was taking place, right? Jesus is being preached. People are repenting of witchcraft. Not, they're, they're not just vocalizing their repentance, okay? They are getting rid of everything that is contaminated, that has been dedicated to demonic spirits. That's what they're doing. There is a great move of God that is taking place. At the same time, the enemy is wanting to stop this move again, and so what he does is this time, he doesn't go to some Jewish person and do this. I want you to notice that, because a lot of times we look at, oh, the Jewish people were the ones that were enemies. I want you to know, it's not a person that is the enemy. It is the devil that is the enemy. It is evil spirits that is the enemy. The Bible says we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and wickedness in high places. That's what the scripture says, and so what happens is in verse 24, it says, for a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana these are idols brought no small profit to the craftsman so what's the issue here the issue is these people are selling all their magic arts these people are getting rid of their idols and so now guess who's not going to be getting paid Demetrius and it seems like according to what it says here he brought no small profit so if you didn't bring a small profit that means you brought a big large profit. that means he was a baller hello right and so Demetrius is like yo I got a certain lifestyle I got to maintain this Paul guy he's coming up in here and he's causing havoc for us and so Demetrius is like you know what I'm gonna bring issues verse 25 says he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said men you know that you know that we have our prosperity by this trade moreover you see in here that not only at Ephesus but throughout most, almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people Saying that, there are, that they, are, they are not gods which are made with hands So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute But also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed Whom all Asia and the world worship Now notice this, Demetrius could care less about this temple demetrius cares about one thing his pocket that's all he cares about that temple right here this one That's the only temple he's worried about he's not worried about anything else he's concerned about himself but he's trying to manipulate the crowd which is what the enemy does and now in verse 28 it says now when they heard this they were full of wrath and cried out saying great is diana of the ephesians now these are the same people who just turned in all of their witchcraft books hello these are the same people that are over there saying, you know what, we don't need to be idolaters and all this. These are the same people. Now they're saying, great is the goddess Diana, bringing confusion is what the enemy does. Verse 29 says, so the whole city was filled with Confusion. And rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. And so they were trying to protect Paul from getting killed here. And he obviously listened. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. You should underline that. You should highlight that. And you should remember... That when you see our communities, when you see our culture going bananas over stuff, half of them don't even know what they're doing. Half of them don't even know what is going on. They, they, they're, they're clueless. They're clueless as to why they're even in an uproar. But they're there. Yeah, yeah. They don't even know why they're there. They don't really know why they're there. Because a lot of people think, oh, I'm an activist for this. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize that you may be an activist for something that offends God? That's what I'm talking about, the confusion. I'm not talking about they, they know they, they may know what they're doing in the natural. They, they're confused, though, because they think they're on God's side, like the Jack Black joke. Hello. He's, on, he's not on God's side. That's not Jesus. And so the thing is, they're confused. They don't know what is going on. They don't really even know why they're together. Some therefore cried one thing and another, verse 33 says, and they they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hands and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. That's a long time to be crying out. Hello. Y'all get tired after like 30 minutes of singing, be like, all right, that's enough. These people... These folks were for two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana. That's, that's a long time. Verse 35. And when the city clerk had quieted, had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess." Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open, and therefore a, are, and there are pro Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And so... Demetrius heard the gospel. How do I know that Demetrius heard the gospel? Because Demetrius made a great presentation. He said, these people who say that gods that are made with hands are not gods, that's gospel preaching. That's him hearing the truth that you cannot serve Jesus and these idols at the same time. That there is one true God, and that one true God is the one that you must give total reverence, total honor, and submission to. And so when Demetrius hears this, notice what I said. The gospel preached and powered by the Spirit will cost us. He knew it well enough to know the difference between false and true gods. And when he saw the people repenting of idolatry and witchcraft, he had a choice. He had a choice. Close up shop, worship God, or keep the shop open and worship mammon or money. That was his choice. And what did he do? He said, you know what? I'm not going to pay the price of what God is calling me to pay. I'm not going to pay the price that the gospel calls me to. I'm not going to do that. So you know what? Not only am I not going to get saved, not, not only am I not going to experience the benefits of heaven, I'm not going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. As a matter of fact, I'm going to become opposed to the Spirit of God. I'm going to become opposed to the Word of God. I'm going to become opposed to the laws of God being manifested in the city of Ephesus. I'm going to do everything in my power to create confusion where God is bringing conviction. And so what he does is he becomes opposed. And see, for us it's the same thing. We can either hear the Spirit of God calling us to repentance, calling us to faith in Jesus, or... We can say, you know what, I'm going to continue to live my life the way that I am. I'm not going to make any kind of difference. And then what are we? We're we're just the same thing as being part of the problem. God wants to fill us with his power. We cannot, and I'm getting ready to close with this. We cannot be moved by the crowds. As I showed you in verse 32, who are confused. Hello. We can't be moved as they are. We cannot be moved by what they are moved by. Listen, when I sit down, and you can ask that, you can ask the other pastors in this church. When we sit down and we talk about our connect groups and we talk about our conversations, whenever we have discussion, whenever we have questions, whenever they bring up things that may happen, you know, questions that come up in a connect group, there is one place that I tell them you need to send everyone, you need to send all of them back to the Bible. And when you have an opinion, bring the scripture with your opinion. If your opinion does not align with scripture, your opinion does not hold weight. Did you hear what I said? I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what your little heart says. I don't care what your great emotions and minds say. I don't care what your intellect, because you are so deep and so smart and so old and so, you know what I'm saying? You've been around everywhere and y'all don't get there. No. I don't care about any of that. If your Bible, not my Bible, your Bible, If your Bible does not support your opinion, get rid of your opinion. Get rid of your position. Get rid of that mindset because it offends God. And God calls you to repentance. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. Today. He calls you to repent of those things that are offensive to him. Those things that you have followed the crowd of the culture in that is confused and does not realize. And here's the thing. You and I are called to be light. You know what light does? Light clears up confusion. But when you follow the confusion, you do nothing to fix the problem. But when you and I become light and we say, God, I want to be the light bearer. Which means that I am going to go against the darkness. Which means that I'm not going to align myself with the culture. Listen, that's uncomfortable and that's why y'all ain't jumping out of your seats right now. But here's the point. The thing is, when I decide that I am not going to go with the flow of the culture, it is painful and it is costly. Because Folks ain't going to want to hang out with you when they got an opinion and you're like, look, your opinion is absolutely opposed to God. I love you. And be like, I love you too, but I'm not going to have lunch with you anymore. Are you willing to pay that price? Seriously, the beauty of it is the Spirit of God wants to fill you with His power. Amen? Amen? We must remain faithful to living a Spirit-empowered, gospel-centered life that is committed to the truth of God. The truth of God does not change. And when we are committed to a Spirit-filled, gospel-centered life, which is the title of the message, Spirit-filled, gospel-centered living, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, when we are living that gospel-centered life and we are committed to the truth that doesn't change, that's when we are guaranteed we'll see the glory of God. We will see His glory if we follow His principles, His precepts. And so my closing question is this. Are you living a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God? Are you living a life that is filled with doubts? Or are you living a life that is filled with faith? If you're living a life that is filled with doubts, you're not living a life that is filled with the spirit of God. If you're living a life that is full of fear instead of the love of God, you're not living a life that is full of the spirit of God. God wants us to live a life that is filled with trust and devotion. Are you living a life of boldness for the gospel? Or are you living a life as a coward? Afraid to confront whoever? Are you living a life that is full of the spirit of God? Today, second opportunity in, in, in the same month, glory to God, for you to say, God, I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be filled with your power, and I want to be used for your glory. I want to see my generation changed by the power of the gospel. And I realize that it's not by words alone, because the Bible said it is not by might, nor by, nor, 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 not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. I got thrown off power. I was like, power? That is power, but it's a different kind of power. Not by, not by your power. Not by your might, but by the Spirit of God. Stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now, I do want to open the altar up to you today. You say, God... Maybe you said, you know what, Lord, I heard this message last week that stirred me. I heard this message this week that confirmed, or maybe I heard this message this week, and Lord, I just, I want to acknowledge I want to be filled with your spirit, God. I want to be full of your spirit, not just today, but I want to be full of your spirit every day of my life, and maybe you need to repent of sin. Maybe you need to humble yourself before God, but I just open the altar to you here for us to pray for you. You know if the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you during this preaching, and so don't wait for someone to touch you on the shoulder, just come, come forward and let us pray with you today. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are great, and you are greatly to be praised. You are great, and you are greatly to be praised, God. You are great, and you are greatly to be praised, God. You are great, Lord Jesus. God, we honor you in this place. God, we honor you in this place. Come on, begin to pray in this place. Come on, begin to cry out to God in this place. Begin to call upon the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, Lord. I'm going to ask the pastors to come forward, please, and the ministers to come forward. I want us to pray with the people that are on this altar.